Christian Wagner and I'm the Militant Thomist. So today we're going to be getting into the next stage of this series. First stage we covered a lot more of just the plain uh, biblical material. We have really only been able to to prove that a sacrifice happens that well and that this is not a sacrifice of merely of thanksgiving but a proper sacrifice and we'll we'll get into later the exact details about that. We we've really just kind of set the baseline that there was uh, that that the Eucharist is Christ's body, very basic, that it is sacrificed in in the in the Eucharistic action, and that there are priests who are appointed to, to celebrate it. That that's that's really all that we've got. We haven't gotten into any of the uh, super distinct uh, reasons. In a very qualified sense, almost everybody besides, again, your Baptist grandma will be able to affirm what I've said so far. But today we're going to be getting into hot water. We're going we're gonna to be getting into where we start to disagree. We start to have Catholic distinction, uh, distinctives. And this is going to be uh, the three videos. I think it's three. That's the three videos. The first one's going to be the fact of the real presence. The second one's going to be the the mode in which the real presence happens, which is going to be it's called famously transubstantiation. And then the third one's going to be on the perpetuity of the real presence, if I'm remembering correctly. But so today is just going to be on the fact of the real presence. We're going to be thinking about how we're going to conceive of presence. And again, this is just going to be another baby step because there's a lot more metaphysical details we're going to get into later. But we're going to go from uh, is to, okay, explaining a little bit of how is is, and then explaining uh, after that a lot more of the, the deeper metaphysical issues that don't even get covered until the scholastic era. But today, the thesis is going to be, in the Eucharist is contained truly, really, and substantially, the body and blood together with the soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore the whole Christ. Okay, so let's break that down a little bit. So when we have uh, in the Eucharist, we mean uh, under the species of bread and wine, after the bread and wine had been consecrated. 
and then uh, is contained, that's going to be uh, is present. And then now we're going to get into the mode wherein uh, under the species uh, that is under the visible uh, outward um, uh, view of bread and wine, there is what, what is under that. And it's going to be the uh, body and blood together with the soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's going to be these three adverbs, truly. The first one's truly. And all we mean by truly is that it is not only a sign. So uh, not in a figure. That, that's, all, that's all we mean, is it's not uh, purely symbolic. So again, uh, I don't think we're going to eliminate anybody with truly. Truly is usually um, uh, not non-sign. Really is not a figure. Uh, so not in sign, not in figure. That is, that, that, that's what truly and really means. But the third one, this is when we're going to really start to start to cut people off because the third one is substantially. Now, what do we mean by substantially? So there's two ways in which something could be present. Something could be present in itself and something could be present in effect. So to, to illustrate, we can say that, let's say um, you you uh, say that uh, uh, that I am I am in America. If you say I am in America, uh, that is that is something which is present in itself. America is on this continent right here, present right there. And uh, let's say somebody else says that America is present in the Middle East. Well, America isn't present in the Middle East in itself. It's only present in the Middle East in its effect. So that's the distinction we're making. We're saying it's not uh, only by a certain effect of power, but uh, in itself. That's all we mean by substantially. So we're really uh, cutting off uh, the people that believe in what's called a virtual presence. So this is going to be getting into discussions with the Calvinists uh, and, and their their view of the Eucharist as uh, as having Christ in effect through the working of the Spirit. And then uh, by the whole Christ that we say is present, uh, body and blood together with soul and divinity. And to make a quick dis quick distinction, um, body and blood is there. Uh, St. Thomas calls it by the power of the sacrament. So it, it's there uh, in virtue of the, the consecration, substantially, truly, and really. And uh, the soul and divinity are there present by what's called concomitance. So it's something that naturally comes along with it. So it's nat naturally in virtue of it being of the uh, of the body and blood being being united naturally to the soul and the divinity. It comes along that way by natural concomitance. So th there's a distinction between how those those four uh, four things are present: body, blood, soul, and divinity. And then now, by substantially, also I want to make one quick distinction. In this, uh, by substantially, we're also not only going against it being virtually present, but also it being accidentally present. So by accidental presence, uh, we are referring to a certain uh, dimensive, which is, uh, which is local. So it present, like this cup is here present, it's present in a certain space, uh, surrounded by uh, the air. So we're not saying it's locally present in that sense, as is uh, it's contained under 
the dimensions. It's present in the way that maybe uh, an angel is present. An angel isn't, uh, my guardian angel is in this room right now, and but he's not uh, surrounded uh, by the dimensions of this room in that sense. It's present after a different mode, to put it like that. Very, very weird to think of something present, but not locally uh, present, but but yes, that is that is the that is the Catholic teaching, and it's also against another accident, which is uh, corporal, corporal, cor corporeal, or physical presence. So we're not saying that Christ is uh, present as we would think materially, uh, like you would, like, like you can. Uh, I don't know this book right here. There's there's stuff to it. You can touch it, feel it. Um, it can hit my hand and things like that. Uh, the Christ's body is body and uh, blood are not present in that way. That it's present physically. That you can go and weigh Christ's mat, uh, body and blood as it's some sort of material thing in the Eucharist. It's not present in that way either. But after, actually, it's present after the mode of substance. So I hope I hope that's helpful. So we're we're very specific about the the fact of the real present uh, presence, but really, uh, truly, really, and substantially uh, covers all of our bases. And it distinguishes us from, from a few different heretical views. Now, when it comes to the adversaries of this thesis, there are going to be, I guess I could say, three different types of adversaries. The first are going to be actually two different types of adversaries to this specific thesis. So the first are going to be the sacramentarians. Those are going to be those who deny deny that there's any sort of true or real presence, but rather it's only present by way of signification. And then um, in the contemplation of that sign through faith, we are able to, in some sense, receive uh, Christ through the work of the spirit. And then uh, the, the second error has to do with the reform view of the Eucharist that is present virtually. There's some sort of union, mystical union between the sign and the thing signified that through the working of, of the Holy Spirit uh, in faith that we ascend uh, and receive the, the body of Christ virtually. That is through a certain working of power or a certain operation. So the, the, uh, the first one is against true and real. So the, the Reformed actually don't deny true or truly uh, truly and real, that Christ is truly, really present. They don't deny that. But they do deny that he's substantially present, if that makes sense. Okay, so with the doctrine of the church, uh, this, this is uh, defined at the Council of Trent. Uh, and this was also cannot, uh, defined at the Council of Constance. And then against the uh, Berengarians and a few other... This wasn't... Uh, defined in that sense until some of the medieval Eucharistic debates. So this is um, divine and Catholic faith. So again, to deny this is heretical. So we're going to first encounter the elephant in the room because this is a bit of a difficult, this is a bit of a difficult thesis to prove, actually. It may not seem difficult. I think the truly and really present is actually very easy to prove. Because you can just amass um, just loads of fathers who are going to uh, speak as with, speak as if it's not only a sign. That's just easy. That is the easy part of it. 
the difficult part of it is going to be when we think of something being substantially present. So the, the way I usually go about it is we can think a bit about the way in which language works. So you're going to say that, uh, that when you're thinking about the Eucharist, that this is my body. Now, under a sort of virtual presence, what you are saying by, by is and by body, you're meaning something completely different than the natural meaning of those words. And you would need some sort of contextual uh, reason in order to deny that uh, this is speaking about, this is speaking in an improper sense. So what I'm what I'm saying by that is they would have to say that this is my body means that this brings about a certain effect of power, which would be from uh, the application of my body. Now I don't necessarily see any reason, and I think necessarily what's going to happen is you're going to have to deny. If you deny the substantially part of that, you're going to have to deny the truly and really part of that too. You're going to have to deny the proper sense of the words that we've established in previous theses that you'll that you will actually on the face accept the that these words are being used in their proper sense when it comes to the institution of the Eucharist. And my computer is dying, so I need to plug it in real quick. So that is how I would I would uh, go about the argument and discussion because it's a bit ironic because one of one of their chief arguments against our view of the Eucharist is that the Eucharist is called bread, but that the Eucharist is not bread. Therefore, we cannot, that, therefore, the uh, substance is present along with the accidents. That is a chief argument of, of the Reformed against the Roman Catholic view of the Eucharist. But we would uh, simply respond that we named stuff based on the uh, impressed species, which is through the through the contemplation of the senses, that is how we that is how we know something. So, of course, we're going to name it uh, by that thing and name it bread. It's completely fine to name it bread uh, because that is that is what is being received by the sensitive faculties. A uh, certain appearance of bread. So, we're going to name it that. It's only through the, through faith, as Saint Thomas says, that the senses deceive. But it's only through faith that we that we do know. So uh, the reason this is ironic is because ask them how they can call the bread Christ's body and ask them how they can call the wine Christ's blood, because you're going to necessarily have to argue that there is some improper sense, which is being used, which they wouldn't want to agree that the words of institution are used in an improper sense, but they would argue for a proper sense against the sacramentarians. So I think the only way of really getting a, getting around this is to just accept the substantial and not merely virtual presence of Christ in the Eucharist. So I think it is evident from what is proved above. But although this is an indirect way of arguing with it. So I'm going to, I think when it comes to the rest of the texts, everybody always brings up uh, certain texts throughout sacred scripture. But I can just I can really just hear in the back of my mind when it comes to substantial the way in which I would I would respond to these is uh, for for example one of the one of the arguments brought up is Christians because they consume a de definitive bread and wine participate in Christ's body and blood in the proper sense but this cannot be unless Christ is really present in the Eucharist therefore Christ is really present in the Eucharist 
Well, they would argue, uh, not not exactly. We don't need to. It, it could be through the certain working of the Holy Spirit, uh, wherein uh, we, we ascend to receive Christ uh, virtually through through the working of his power uh, in the Holy Spirit. They, and, and this can they they'll really bring about this um, in every single case. But I think once you once you get down to brass tacks and say, OK, how, how are we using language here and how are you following uh, the right use of language? Then really the the objection is going to going to be resolved. And then I th- then uh, it's the same way with a lot of the the patristic arguments. They'll point to, OK, this this. The, these fathers are continuously and constantly saying, this is the body of Christ. This is the blood of Christ. This is the body of God. Uh, this is um, this is this. This is that um, they are uh, doing doing certain things which would uh, which would signify their belief in the real presence. But then they would they would simply respond. Well, it's uh, it's it's because the certain instrument of bringing about um bringing about Christ's body and blood, uh, bringing about the, the effect thereof. It is, it is something to be, to be, uh, venerated, well, not venerated, but careful, not, not to be desecrated, uh, I guess is the best way of saying it. But I do think there is a good patristic argument to actually be brought up. Uh, because uh, again, your discussions with, with the reformed on this are just going to be, um, and a, not a, a never-ending language uh, battle of language games of what we mean by true, what we mean by real, what we mean by body, what we mean by substance. All, all this is just going to be a language, uh, a series of language games, which is going to eventually. Uh, you, you just need to say, look, this is how uh, words are properly used. Um, you're going to have to hold basically the same exegesis as as uh, your, your average Southern Baptist with the way in which you're reading these patristic texts and then the way in which the New Testament texts are read. But there is, uh, this was sent to me uh, by Bessarion. Actually, he sent it in a group chat and I stole it. But remember, Bessarion does not believe in copywriting, so I will not, um, I can just steal it and use it for my own, my own uh, gain, all I want. So he quoted a, a series of authors, and this is actually going to get a little bit more into into the uh, tr- transubstantiation, so the conversion of bread itself. But it, what what it converts into, what it mentions, what what is resulted of the conversion, uh, it it does lend itself only to a substantial interpretation. So Saint Augustine says in Sermon two thirty four, contra Faustum twenty that bread fit the body of Christ. And then in sermon 226, so fitting the body, body of Christ. That's important. Not, uh, I, I don't think that could actually be, that could be interpreted in a, in a reformed light. So also in sermon 227, St. Augustine, so that by the means of these accidents, that is of the bread and wine, we should have his body and blood and then also St. Ambrose uses the same language where he says that the bread fit the body of Christ in his on the sacraments or on the mysteries uh, four. And then also in another place in all the mysteries four, and that the bread is converted into the body of Christ. So you can't really, uh, again, I, I don't see how this could be, how, how we could naturally take language and say that the bread is converted into the body of Christ and then interpret that as the bread has been converted into a certain 
uh, instrument or being converted into a certain uh, union wherein it brings about the power of of the effect. And I, I, don't, I don't see how, how this could be uh, interpreted in that light. And then in another place um, on the Mysteries 9, that, um, that the nature itself is changed. Notice the nature itself is changed. And by nature, um, it can easily be, again, glossed substance. And that nature is converted in, in, uh, in the same place. Then St. John Chrysostom, he says, do you see bread? Do you see wine? Then he asks uh, whether we should think that they are underneath what we see in answers. God forbid, just like if wax is subjected to fire, it is made into fire and no substance remains. So too, you must think that the sacraments have their substance consumed by the body. So this is explicitly um, speaking in the sense of a substance. So those those are the few texts, and I think the uh, the texts we're going to bring uh, next episode when we specifically talk about transubstantiation, those are going to help a lot, because eventually you're just going to have to be honest with yourself and say, look, am, am I just am I just playing these uh, weird sort of language games, um, and not taking the natural use of of language itself? And then lastly, uh, before I go, St. Thomas has a really good section on this of the fittingness and theological arguments for the uh, for Christ being substantially and not merely virtually or um, in sign present. So the question which is asked, whether the body of Christ is in the sacrament in very truth or merely as in figure or sign. So on the contrary, Hillary says, there is no room for doubt regarding the truths of Christ's body and blood. For now by our Lord's declaring and by our faith, his flesh is truly food and his blood is truly drink. And Ambrose says, as the Lord Jesus Christ is God's true son, so it is Christ's true flesh, which we take, and his true blood, which we drink. So I answer that the presence of the presence of Christ's true body and true blood in the sacrament cannot be detected by sense nor understanding, but by faith alone. Oh, look, said sola fide. Don't tell, don't tell him that. Which rests upon divine authority. Hence, Luke twenty two nineteen. this is my body, which shall be delivered up for you. Doubt not whether this shall be true, but take rather the Savior's words of faith, for since he is truth, he lieth not. So again, this can only be proved uh, on divine authority. And then he grounds it in the scriptures. But this is not what we're we're too worried about. We're, we're worried about his arguments for fittingness because he has three of them. and They're very good. Now, this is suitable first for the perfection of the new law. The sacrifices of the old law contained only in figure a true sacrifice of Christ's passion. According to Hebrews 10, 1, for the law having a shadow of the good things to come, not the very image of the things. And therefore, it was necessary that the sacrifice of the new law instituted by Christ should have something more, namely that it should contain Christ himself crucified, not merely in signification or figure, but also in very truth. And therefore, this sacrament, which contains Christ himself, as Dionysius says, is perfective of all the other sacraments in which Christ's virtue is participated. Second, this belongs to Christ's love out of which for our salvation he assumed a true body for our nature. And because it is the special nature of friendship to live together with friends, as the philosopher says, he promises us his bodily presence as a reward, saying, where the body is, there shall the eagles be gathered together. 
Yet meanwhile, in our pilgrimage, he does not deprive us of his bodily presence. And by bodily presence, he means the presence of his body, not some sort of corporeal presence. But unites us with himself in the sacrament through the truth of his body and blood. Hence, John 6.57, he says, He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood abideth in me, and I in him. Hence, the sacrament is the sign of supreme charity, an uplifter of hope from such familiar union of Christ with us. And then third, it belongs to the perfection of faith, which contains his humanity just as it does his Godhead. According to John 14.1, you believe in God, believe also in me. And since faith is of things unseen, as Christ shows us his Godhead invisibly, so also is the sacrament. He shows us his flesh in an invisible manner. And honestly, I think uh, when, when it comes to uh, another patristic argument that I, that I forgot to mention is the patterning of the Eucharist, uh, which, is, which is based on the incarnation, that there is an invisible and uh, well, there is that, that visible and outward species of his body. You, we can phrase it like this. There is the outward species um, of his body, which underneath is is the divinity, which perfectly patterns the the uh, epistemic encounter that we have with the Eucharist, is that outwardly by our visual we have that impressed species of bread, but inwardly by faith we have faith in the uh, in in the substantial presence of Christ in the Eucharist, just as in the incarnation we have that visible and outward uh, impressed species of Christ's body and blood, and then we have that inward um, inward faith of the Godhead under the outward species. Okay, so that is all I have for you. Thank you for for listening. And next time we will be talking a bit about transubstantiation. So I will see you then and God bless. Glory to God.